I'm going to read a passage from the Epistle of James. Epistle is a fancy word that means letter. This is a letter that a man named James wrote so that people would understand how they can live out their faith. Listen now for God's word to you from James chapter 3. We'll be reading after the bell rings. us with the word of prayer. Holy God, you hold our hearts 
deal gently with us. Give us a word of hope from you, because no other words will do. Grant us your spirit that we may hear and understand what you have to say to us today. We pray all this in the name of your word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the first commitments my wife and I made to one another in marriage was never to throw the other under the bus for a cheap laugh with friends. Have any of you maybe experienced this? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've done this. Don't, don't do that. Um, but maybe you've seen this done, right? Maybe you've heard someone talk about how their spouse always leaves dirty clothes next to the basket instead of putting them in the basket or never cleans up after dinner. Are any of y'all familiar with, with uh, this line of reasoning, this, uh, this way of getting some cheap laughs? If that's happened to you, though, and you've heard about it, you know how devastating it can feel, how hurtful it can be. If you've done it yourself, you might experience wondering whether it was worth the short laugh you got from a friend, whether that was worth causing the friend to think less of your spouse. How can you, on the one hand, claim to love this person, while on the other hand, you don't speak about them lovingly? But this isn't restricted, of course, to marriage relationships, is it? You can do this with friends and family as well. I, I remember once, when I was in seventh grade, I was telling my dad about one of my friends. I wasn't speaking very kindly to him. And my dad told me, you don't need to insult your friends for me to admire you. That was incredibly convicting to me. It's important to use our words thoughtfully because words have power. We've been focusing over the last couple of weeks on the epistle of James and, and, and the theme verse, the thesis statement of James can be found in James 1, 26 and 27 talking about true religion. And according to James uh, chapter 1, verse 26, any person who does not bridle their tongue has a worthless religion. This is a strong claim, and it's one that James fleshes out a little bit in this passage this morning. But before we dig into this passage about how words have power, I want to do a sort of case study about the power of words. I want to spend some time on a few words scripture uses that are really important to the conversation we've been having in James. Words you may have heard in sermons from the last couple of weeks, in liturgy from the last couple of weeks. Words that have power. These words are justice and righteousness. I want to break these down a little bit. So uh, please walk with me as we do a little exegetical work for a moment. Would you do that? Okay, awesome. Um, so let's begin with justice. By justice, I mean pursuing right relationships in the horizontal direction. We can think of the horizontal direction person to person. We can think of the vertical direction between us and God. So, so justice, I mean pursuing right relationships with other human beings and with ourselves. Justice is a word that describes interpersonal, creaturely relationships. And true religion, as we hear in James chapter 1, verse 27, is directed to caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress. Uh, this is pursuing justice. This is what our faith calls us to pursue, these right relationships. It's one of the parts of true religion. So that's justice, okay? We're, we're, we're going to come back to this in a second, but I want to lay the groundwork. 
righteousness is the other word I want to spend a minute with. By righteousness, I mean pursuing right relationships in the vertical direction between ourselves and God. In contrast with justice, which is a social, interpersonal word, righteousness is a word that describes maybe a little more private, religious relationship. True religion must acknowledge that the ways we interact with the transcendent, perfect God, it doesn't always measure up, right? We are called to be perfect as God is perfect. And I am, am not always perfect. I don't imagine you are either. Righteousness is the calling to be unstained by the world, as James 1.27 calls us to be. It's what, what drives us to that portion of true religion. So what does this have to do with our speech? Well, let's spend another minute with these words. How does scripture discuss justice and righteousness? What Greek and Hebrew words, the original words of the oral tradition you heard uh, Kate talk about as they were passing out the Bibles, what, what Greek and Hebrew words lie behind these, these English words? This is the part that really gets me excited. So again, if this is like dry to you, um, I hope that you'll share my excitement for a moment here. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for justice is the same word as is used for righteousness, dikaios. Even more interesting, the Hebrew word for justice and righteousness, same word, tzedakah. Justice and righteousness are more than just two sides of the same coin. They're identical concepts. They overlay on top of one another. I, I want to highlight this because words have power. And some of us may be a little bit more mm, comfortable let's say, talking about one of these concepts, and maybe a little less comfortable talking about another one of these concepts. There are some who have a preference for talking about righteousness. And for those of you who may have a preference to talk about righteousness and are a little leery when it comes to questions of justice, you might approach the idea of systemic or structural or institutional problems or sin with a little leeriness. You might prefer to focus on how can I get my relationship with our Lord right. After all, righteousness focuses on the individual relationship and our responsibility for overcoming sin in our lives. Now, on the other hand, those of you who may have a preference to talk about justice, y'all might prefer to look at those structural issues on the horizontal level, and you may approach the individual responsibility and that moral righteousness with a little bit of leeriness. But words have power. When we distinguish between justice and righteousness, and we tear those words apart, we're doing ourselves a disservice. When we separate how we treat others from how we treat God, we tear asunder what God has joined together. It artificially separates the way God forms us internally with how God is forming us externally. It's like artificially separating inhaling from exhaling, right? You gotta do both. You can't just inhale all the time. You wouldn't live very long. It's the same thing with exhaling. You can't just do that all the time. For our bodies to be healthy, we need both. We're called to inhale God's righteousness, to exhale God's justice. To a world in need. We need to live out our faith, but we also need to live in our faith. And just as we need a unity of justice and righteousness in order to have a true, pure religion, we also need a unity of action and speech. Thank you for going with me on that case study. We're going to come back to James 3 now and spend a little time with that, uh, because we see this unity of action and speech laid out explicitly in our God. 
We can look to Genesis 1, how God creates the world. Uh, there's this great song uh, by uh, a group called Hillsong Worship called So Will I. Some of you may have heard it. They describe the act of creation like this. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath, the planets form. I love that image. It's striking. And it gets at the power of God's speech, how it is unified with God's action. We can also see this clearly in the incarnation in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, God's speech and God's action are identical. In what ways are our actions and our speech identical? In what ways are we people of integrity, people who have our speech and actions aligned much as justice and righteousness ought to be aligned in our lives? Well, I think we need to name first, this will always be a work in progress for us. As James says in verse 2 of this chapter, all of us make many mistakes. Thanks be to God. Thank you, James, for naming that, because sometimes I feel like I'm the only one. Maybe you feel the same way. But we all make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect. We're going to make mistakes. The work of taming our tongues, of unifying our speech and our action, of bringing righteousness and justice together in our lives, this will always be something we can do better. And part of the work of doing better is acknowledging the great power that words have. You've probably heard the saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you actually believe that? Don't raise your hands. This is a rhetorical question. It's exactly wrong. The words we speak can do massive harm. The word sarcasm comes from a Greek word that literally means to tear flesh. These are the stakes we're playing with here. But conversely, to compliment someone, well, the word compliment comes from a Latin word that means completion or fulfillment. Are we going to be a people who use our words to tear flesh? Or are we going to be a people that uses our words to complete and to fulfill someone's purpose? Maybe you're with me. Maybe you're like, yes, pastor, I want to do that. How do I do it? What does it look like for the rubber to meet the road? What does it look like? How do we leave concretely tracks of grace throughout our lives? Well, in the original ending of the sermon, um, before I rewrote it at, I think, 1.30 last night, I had three rules of thumb that I sketched out. I still think they're good, so I'm going to share them, um, but I'm not a big believer in ending a word of hope with a bunch of rules. I don't think that's how God uh, gives us hope. Um, but, but I do want to name these, these rules of thumb because I think they're good. Uh, everything we say ought to be true, it ought to be kind, and it ought to be appropriate. It's got to be true, it's got to be kind, it's got to be appropriate. So this is a, a good sort of mesh to filter your words through. There are nuances here that are worth exploring. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about them or if you've got other rules of thumb you use when you ask whether you should say something or not. Uh, but, but that's not how I want to end my sermon today. I want to revisit what my dad told me. You don't need to insult your friends for me to admire you. With just 12 words, 12 words that weren't telling me something I didn't already know, 12 words that weren't shaking a finger at me, with just 12 words, Dad called me 
to be a better version of myself. He called me to treat others with respect, to be secure enough in who I am that I don't need to build myself up on the backs of others. I was a fairly outspoken Christian even in seventh grade. I, I, I was the guy in my class that would share the gospel with other people. I was very into righteousness. I was very into personal piety. I may have even been a little holier than thou, if I'm being honest. But the same mouth I used to bless my God and Father, I was also using to curse those made in God's likeness. There was very little justice to go with the righteousness I ostensibly practiced. And with just 12 words, Dad helped me to see that. This is the power that words have. Not to condemn, but to call us to be better versions of ourselves. God loves you. God loves you desperately. God's like the parent who regularly shows up to cheer you on, calling you to be the best version of yourself you can be. And God knows how wonderful you can be. God made you that way. So let's rise to the challenge that God offers us. To be a people whose words and actions align. To be a people in whom justice and righteousness find unity. We're going to fail. That's part of what life is all about. But we can pick ourselves up and we can try again. Because we all make mistakes. But God offers us grace so that we can try again and unite our words and actions, unite justice and righteousness, taming our tongues little by little so that what we say and what we do can reflect the glory of our God. May it be so in your lives and in all of us. Amen.